0: Poetry Unbound is the name of a new anthology compiled and curated by O Tuama, the poet, conflict mediator, theologian and presenter of the hugely successful podcast from which the book takes its name. The collection published by Cannondate presents 50 poems about what it means to be alive in the world today, each paired with Podrick's commentary, autobiographical anecdotes and analysis of the work of its multifarious authors. Delighted to be joined in studio this evening by O Tuama. I'm just looking at um, the various descriptions of your product and a bit like a poem, you you can, you can unpack many things from one, from one person. Well, I have a tendency to um, do
1: trainings that don't bring in a lot of money, so I've had to do a bunch of them in order to make some kind of a living. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I chose all these random things; I just um, followed my followed my nose in terms of how I was able to make a make a buck. Yeah,
0: okay, so you're, you're telling me that poetry podcasting is not going to make you into a millionaire. Well, there are very few poets uh, are rich. <laughs> <laughs> However. To, to talk about the podcast as a starting point because it 's that it 's from the, the podcast that yeah, the book yeah. that the book has come. What was the initial idea in the podcast, and were you surprised by how it took Shocked,
1: off? Yeah, Krista Tippett is the leader of a media company in the United States, the on being project and i 'd known her over years because of the conflict resolution stuff, some of the stuff that she some of the interviews she 'd done had a lot mm. to do with conflict resolution, and so uh, a connection had struck up, and she 'd been very good to me. And um, she was becoming aware, I think really, about about language and uh, a decimation and trust in public language. Now, that's probably not new, but there was a new particularity mm. about it happening in the last number yeah. of years. So she texted me at one point and said, we're thinking of making something about poetry. Would you be interested? And so that was it. Then the conversation began and the idea of a podcast that with a bit of rhythm Monday and Friday and a short podcast, 12 to 15 minutes long, started. We recorded the first season in 2019 with it starting in January 2020. And we thought it would be small. You know, we really thought there might be 10 or 15,000 downloads every season. And by the end of the first season, there was over a million and when the pandemic had started we were shocked hearing from people all over the world saying that they were using the podcast sometimes to think a bit about lockdown mm. but other times to just think about
0: their own life you know um well let me let's go to one of the poems then yeah. uh, so what you've done in the book then it's 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 not quite a transcript of the podcast no no it's so, not
1: And no, they're all rewritten yeah, yeah so
0: yeah. how did how did you go about you know that that transfer <laughs> from 12 or 15 minutes of radio into something that I suppose you could read it as... They're to be read in units they really, are, aren't yeah. they?
1: So, well, the podcast is very short. I read the poem, reflect on the poem and read it again. And the second reading of it really is uh, in light of the reflection, maybe you hear something new or you bring something of yourself back to it. And in the book then there's a poem and then a little reflection afterwards, maybe about a thousand words long. Maybe I mean, there's 50 poems, so maybe you can read one a week, have it as a bit of a <laughs> thing to go through the year. And and I guess the,
0: it, it, the, the poem, the reflection... Uh, And then to go back to the poem mightn't be a bad idea either. That's one of the
1: suggestions in the intro, yeah. um, Yeah.
0: Let's talk about Of Course She Looked Back. It's it's such a wonderful title. Uh, This is from Natalie Diaz. It's a reference to Lot's wife um, as she leaves the burning city of of Sodom. And, you know, I suppose the received wisdom or the general attitude to Lot's... Well, we told you not to look back. Now you're a pillar of salt on your own head, be it. This is a very different take on that story.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the the background to the story is that the city of Sodom is being punished for its inhospitality and Lot and his family are being allowed to leave and they've been told don't look back while the city's burning and Lot's wife does look back in the book of Genesis and she's turned into a pillar of salt and Natalie Diaz um, rewrites that story really as a defence of Lot's wife because Lot's wife is often spoken of as if she did something wrong, disobedient, you know. Mm. Although I think you could argue with that but... The poem starts off by saying, of course she looked back, you would have too. From that distance, the shivering city fit in the palm of her hand like she owned it. And then it goes on to talk about the women in broken skirts strewn along burned out streets. And Lot's wife then is Mm. wondering, she wondered, had she unplugged the the coffee pot, the iron, was the oven off? So she brings this poem into, this story into an entirely new repository of imagination.
0: And, And very clever in the way in that. That's opening the the second line of the book. You would have to, of course. She looked back
1: you would have too
0: I know it's addressing it
1: outward and in many ways what Natalie Diaz is doing is looking at the idea of she was turned into a pillar of salt and in so many old literatures of the world salt is a preservative and so salt isn't necessarily a punishment Mm. maybe her accusation maybe she's being praised and reflected on as the one who had the audacity to look back and accuse and look at a city as its salvation as its saviour as the one who wanted to protect it
0: Yeah and I suppose the other side of it too, if you. No matter what people might say about your own home place, if you were forced out of it and told not to look back, would you be able not to look exactly. back as you, totally. as you walked away? Um, the, the background of Natalie Diaz is, is kind of gives another yeah. way of looking at the poem.
1: For, for absolutely. She is a renowned American poet. Last year, she won the Pulitzer Prize for her second book of poems, post-colonial love poem. And she's Mojave. She's a member of the Gila River Indian tribe and so there's so much here about looking back to a story that has been decimated and I think hidden into this poem mm. and present in the poem is the idea to remember and the idea to remember with, a, with an element of defiance especially when you're told not to especially when something's erased and gone and perhaps a city or an identity becomes a byword for something parochial or in the past mm. she reclaims that really defiantly and, yeah and language is important in the Absolutely, midst of all of that I, yeah, I suppose yeah, that she, might speak to, to our own nation in a Absolutely, particular yeah, way. yeah, She, I mean, she's a, she's a linguist as well as a poet mm. and she's also uh, an international basketball player. She's a remarkable person. Exactly. Anoth- really, another yes.
0: person <laughs> <laughs> who can unpack lots yeah. of different aspects yeah. of, of her personality and of, yeah. her, of her life. The, you have a very short poem that I want you to, to read for us. Uh, So why don't we just read the poem first, which is what would happen if we were either listening to the podcast or looking at the book. This is You go ahead and read it for me. You know what I'm talking about here. We lived happily during the war. Yeah, this is by Ilya Kaminsky from his book Deaf Republic. We lived happily
1: during the war. And when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. I was in my bed, around my bed, America was falling, invisible house by invisible house by invisible house. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. In the sixth month of a disastrous rain in the house of money, in the street of money, in the city of money, in the country of money, our great country of money, we,
0: forgive us, lived happily during the war. And that's Padraig Tuama reading the poem, We Lived Happily During the War, by Ilya Kaminsky. And that is one of the poems that's featured in Padraig's Poetry Unbound anthology, which is drawn from his uh, podcast of the same name. Ilya Kaminsky, the name itself gives us a sense of yeah. the background here. Yeah, he's
1: Ukrainian from Odessa and his family sought refuge in the United States I think when he was he was pretty young, I think he was maybe under 10 and then they moved there. He's deaf and the book from which this comes is called Deaf Republic, an extraordinary theatre of a book. And this is the opening poem in it. And there's so much music in it, you know, the repetition of houses and money and invisible house by invisible house. And there's an extraordinary kind of... I don't know, lamenting it. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. Somebody who Mm. isn't affected by a war. But then by the end, they're saying, we forgive us lived happily during the war and who are they asking for forgiveness from and are they alive to
0: give forgiveness even yeah. if they wanted to but it isn't it, it, that little phrase and from your own commentary of it it, it made that forgive us phrase really yeah. stand out for me it's in brackets in brackets you know yeah. but it's it's such a, a potent statement and if you yeah. think of people today leaving the very same exactly. part of the world exactly yeah. what, what, do you have a sense of the need to ask for forgiveness there is, it, is it a bit like a survivor guilt type of thing going on do you think well, there's a need. I to mean, ask it was, sorry, for, it was the Second World War when his family left uh, Ukraine, was it?
1: No, no, um, it was in the 80s that the nice. family oh, right. that a Jewish a big family part. and I think they were they were fleeing anti-Semitism, a latest version mm. of anti-Semitism. Um, I think there is um, a desire for people when they have some moment of accountability to ask for forgiveness, and the question then as to whether it's ethical to get it or whether anybody can give it, because mm. often people want to ask forgiveness from the people who've been affected by war and they're dead, and so that's a serious and long-term.
0: Calamity, really, about mm.
1: the fact that forgiveness is often sought from sources where
0: you're not going to be able to get it. The theologian in you, I'm sure, would have thoughts around the seeking and and the getting or otherwise of forgiveness.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Bible says some very interesting things about forgiveness, and I don't think the Bible says just one thing. I mostly think of the Irish word for forgiveness, ma you know, coming from the word ma, meaning good, and this idea to be made good again, which I think is a very interesting request at the heart of forgiveness, that something could be restored back to you that you've betrayed. Um, I I really believe in thinking about forgiveness. I'm not sure that I think it can ever be prescribed, though. Mm,
0: And I suppose we should remember that the word give is in the middle of forgive as well, which kind of links in with that mahounis or goodness that that you're talking uh, about there. Um, Obviously, we've had a week where people are dealing with incredible loss. And it really struck me about the poem, After the Goose That Rose Like the God of Geese. This is from Martin Espada. again has a particular relevance
1: oh, yeah. the use
0: of the word after here maybe give, give us a sense of how the poem is structured and how it's made up first yeah, of all so probably. it's
1: a short enough poem after the goose that rose like the god of geese and it starts off after the phone call about my father far away after the next day flight cancelled by the blizzard and then it goes on there's so many afters there's 13 of them after this after that they're, they're going to the morgue the cremation of the body and then the ashes being shipped and then the memorial service that was happening and he seems exhausted by absolutely everything And he wants to go and feed the birds. I think he just wants a moment of quiet. And when he goes with bread to feed the birds, he's practically attacked by this goose. He says, after the goose that rose from the water like the god of geese, after the goose that shrieked like a demon from the hell of geese, after the goose that scattered the creatures smaller than geese, after the hard beak, the wild mouth taking bread from my hand. There seems to be something about the wildness and the madness of this goose that brings him out of the exhaustion of grief. Mm. I think he wants to see in front of him the fury that grief often hides and the sense of where is there any sense in any of this? And the fact that this goose has no sense. It's just yeah. hungry. It'll get anything out of its way. And that seems to be a cathartic moment for him. I find it really relieving because often, you know, we want to speak calm in the face of grief and we want to say, no, it's fine and give a little bit of order and a little bit of comfort. But actually it was the wildness of this mm. mad goose that um, gave him relief after that.
0: Yeah, and and the, the, another aspect of this poem that, that struck out, uh, that stu- which, which you uh, highlight in your commentary again as part of the anthology project, is this idea of follow your intuition? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. going yeah. out to feed a goose doesn't seem like you know. You say, "Why is he doing that?" But I know. Don't question those no, intuitions.
1: Yeah. If you have uh, an impulse in the middle of grief, follow it. You know, if you go, I need to go and watch waves crashing against the shore. Do it. You know, there's ways within which I think our our intuition can bring us to a, a small moment of comfort or a small moment of fury mm-hmm. or something that can meet you. And I think that can be a really powerful thing in that way.
0: You know, and you, you were speaking here, uh, we've touched on some of the poems across the 50 that's, that are in the, the anthology. You mentioned that the the, the, the the podcast itself started off during that period of the pandemic. Now, a lot of things have been put down to that the pandemic opened our mind to it again. But poetry, you know, has survived several pandemics, several yeah, wars, yeah. several high times and great times in life and several low times and awful times yeah. in life. What is that? enduring in, in, I, I noticed, you know, the reading of it aloud is so vital and was part of the podcast, obviously, yeah. is that. But I think... Especially in Ireland,
1: poetry has such a a ritual element to it, you know. It is so much part of the school curriculum. And I think there is a way where reading a poem or turning to a poem gives you some small, kind of like a secular liturgy for your life. Mm. Something that says, this isn't going to solve anything, but it might hold you together. Or a line here might strike you that you can turn back to. A line of celebration or a line of lament or something in the middle or something that grows you up or shocks you. There is a way that poetry, I think, um, speaks to the mind. And so many people have a favourite poem. Um, the other night mm. at the launch in Dublin at Books Upstairs, we um, I asked people, what's a favourite poem of yours? And somebody shouted out, um, hope is the thing with feathers. And then somebody else shouted out another poem that says, um, hope might not have feathers, but it's definitely got claws. <laughs> and
2: it was such a,
1: a lot of fun, but also Almost playful argument about what poems do you turn to, and a room will be split about which ones to turn to, yeah. but people often do turn to a poem.
0: All right. Well, listen, um, you, you've, you've just touched on the surface of, of what is in the book. A fascinating read. I want to spend time with more than the three or four I got to spend time with over the last couple of days. Uh, thanks for coming into us this evening, Padraig. And list. that's uh, Mila Fálchip, Padraig. Uh, Poetry Unbound, the title of both the anthology and the podcast of Padraig O'Tuma. And the book is published by Canon Gate. Coming up on Friday week, October the 21st, we will be live at the Pavilion Theatre in Doonleire for Arena's RTE Short Story Special. We'll gather with the judges of this year's RTE Short Story competition, Lisa McInerney, Ferdy McConaughey and Elish Nigivna, and all 10 shortlisted writers for, fi- for live music and extracts from the stories in live performance. Insights into the art of the short story and we will hear who's won the big prizes, including the top prize of 5000 if you want to read the stories, by the way, they're all available now on rte.ie forward slash culture and they will be broadcast, echoing what we were talking about, hearing the poems as with Padre Tuama, These stories will be broadcast here on RT Radio 1, 1120 PM every night as part of Late Date with Cahill Murray. And we're going to talk about two stories on the programme this evening. Uh, two writers, first up Fishing for Pike by Antoinette McCarthy and later we'll be talking to Bernard Crowley about his his story A Nice Cup of Tea. It's one of ten stories chosen from over 1,700 entries to this year's RT Short Story Competition by the judges, as I mentioned. So let's talk to Antoinette uh, McCarthy first of all, and her story Fishing for Pike, which incidentally is the one that will be broadcast tonight at 20 minutes past 11 here on RTÉ radio radio one uh, is a great excitement are you are you excited to just hearing the the whole thing read out have you heard any of it been read up to this point Antoinette
3: no I haven't and I'm very excited to hear it read I mean I uh, yes because it's 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 a young person's voice I mean the, the narrator is 14 so hearing Elaine O'Doyer reading it will be fantastic um, a young actress reading it and they and you know She'll bring something new to it as well, so yeah, yeah, I can't wait.
0: Yeah, well, give us, give us, um, the, I suppose the, the basic uh aspect or, or setup in the story itself. And it grew out of your own experiences of working with young people during the pandemic. Give us the the, the setup, if you would, Antoinette.
3: Um, it's a story about a mother and daughter, and their relationship has become very uh, fractured, and it's really about the way they find. Their way back to talking to each other and how important that is for both of them, but especially for the for the for the narrator for the younger younger girl.
0: And finding that that younger voice, that narrator's voice, uh, were you listening to those young people that you that you were working with, or how did you go about finding? Because it's a it's a very different um, way of speaking, way of thinking that is there in the younger generation. One could argue.
3: Absolutely. And yeah, no, of course, listening to the young people I worked with, but also I have, I have two children myself. They're a bit older than that now, but I would I would run things past them. Would you say this or this? <laughs> how do you say this? Do you text? you say I texted? And they'd be, no, you don't say I texted. You say I said. But how do I manage that then? So, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's about finding, you know, you have to find a degree of honesty. Otherwise, it's not going to work.
0: All right. Well, let us have a listen. And I think this would be your uh, first time hearing a section from Fishing for Pike. So it's, it's the young daughter really who is speaking here and speaking about her mother and her mother's various uh, uh, relationships effectively that the mother is going through. She's, there's quite a turnover. I think it's, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's fair to say in the case of this woman. So this is Elaine O'Dwyer reading from Antoinette McCarthy's Fishing for Pike.
4: She didn't land the last one properly. That's what she's decided. She saw him through the break-up with the missus all right. Stood by while he moved the family out to move us in. Big mansion on a hill he had. Roman columns and a separate little house for the car. Wore a lot of necks Had a smile that never reached his eyes. But we were only there a couple of months when it was our turn to be moved on. A young one in six-inch heels loitered with intent in the driveway while we loaded up our stuff. This new fella doesn't make Mum laugh much. Must be quieter. Or depressed. The last one used to make her cackle like an old witch. Not that I care. I have my own fella now. Johnny DM'd me on Instagram. I put up a picture of me in my new tartan docks and he was like, love the boots. And I was like, Really? I got them in a charity shop. They were only a fiver. And that was that.
0: Elaine O'Dwyer reading from Antoinette McCarthy's Fishing for Pike, one of the 10 shortlisted uh, short stories from this year's RT Short Story competition and it will be broadcast in full uh, this evening here on RT Radio. And just before I, I let you go on it, Antoinette, we got the DM in there from Instagram. We got texting was mentioned, Okay. There's a fair amount of sexting going on here uh, as well. How important was it for you to get that kind of very contemporary feel into what you were doing?
3: Well, I don't know whether it was about a contemporary feel as much as about risk. Um, I think that, I mean, the the representation of the pike really is about, you know, that sort of male predator. Mm. And the rules might have changed, but uh, the game is still the same. So I think it was about just... Making those, giving that a pulse through from the mother's life to the daughter's life and the similarities. And that allowed them to come through to the end and find a way to talk to each other as well.
0: All right. Well, um, enjoy listening to the story tonight oh, wow. as, as it's broadcast, Antoinette, and I'm sure we will see you on Friday week for our special in the uh, Pavilion Theatre in in Dun And let me go now uh, to uh, from the story "Fishing for Pike" to another of the shortlisted short stories with me this evening. Are with me now is Bernard Crowley, whose short story "A Nice Cup of Tea" is shortlisted. It will be broadcast tomorrow night during a uh, Late Date. It's read by Hilda Fay. It's Bernard first published story Bernard good to have you with us this evening hello John how are you Uh, tell us a little bit about how this story started off in your head because it went quite a distance away from its starting point to where it actually lands on the page
2: it did it did Uh, it it started off I thought I'd write a romantic short story you know that was the the idea forming in the head but I was only a few lines in when the the anger kind of surfaced and as I said earlier in my bio it's um the cup hit the wall, and I had to follow it. You know, and it became a very different story altogether—story of addiction and a story of living with addiction, rather than anything else. You know.
0: Yeah, I suppose as, as much as anything, it's about the trail of destruction that addiction leaves leaves behind it. Now, you uh, had have experienced in addiction in your own life. How did your own experiences feed into what you What you did in the story itself, Bernard? I
2: say, thinking about it, um, my own experiences would be in the technicalities of it, you know, just the graphics of addiction there. That's in the story, you know. I was able to flesh that out, I suppose, from my own past, you know. Yeah, but, um, I guess I concentrated really on the uh, on Anna's story, living with it, you know. That was the.
0: Yeah, so for me. give us a sense of who Anna is, who is our narrator here, and uh, Hilda Faye is who, who we're going to hear reading it. Give us Anna's situation and what she's dealing with. In as much as you, you might want to not want, give us the full disclosure of what where she is and what she's doing, but you can give us a sense of what what she's going through as she's telling us the story.
2: Oh well, she's uh, she's attending a funeral, and <clears throat> and the aftermath of the funeral, you know, after Anna. Uh, her mind is mulling over it all, how she ended up where she ended up. You know, how does she have uh, contend with this? You know,
0: right. Well, so, let's have a listen to Hilda Fair reading a section from "A Nice Cup of Tea" then by Bernard Coley
5: She headed for the park. She was wearing a skirt for the occasion, unusual for her. But she felt good in it, pretty, feminine. She took the heels off and sat on the grass she was glad to shake off the church clinic crap she'd just finished with a bloke before she met Jerry he was so different the ma loved him he had a job a job for God's sake oh he was treated like royalty he was all smooth and silky no edge was that the problem too nice too good for her she was only three months with him when she got pregnant pregnant with his what a nightmare The baby wasn't six months old when his dad got nabbed. Selling to a guard. Twenty-nine previous. His attempts to go clean were noted by the judge. Funny that. She hadn't noted anything.
0: That's a nice cup of tea, as read by Hilda Fay, uh, another of the shortlisted stories for this year's RT Short Story Competition, and Bernard Crowley uh, joining me this evening uh, to talk about his story. This is your first published story, uh, Bernard, and it's you're not you're not in the you're not in the first flushes of your youth.
2: Not at all. No, I got my pension last month. You know. So, I, But it's my first, first story I've written, Sean, to be honest, you know. First, first written?
0: First well, first, first, one, written. first one you write gets published that you're not doing too badly indeed. It's
2: good, isn't it?
0: Um, yeah. well, it, it certainly is, and to be part of this competition as well. Has that um, then given you an impetus to keep going with it, uh, Bernard?
2: Oh, absolutely, Sean. A, the validation is incredible, you know. I, I haven't stopped since I got the, the email. You know, it's just been really good. Great, great support. You know, it's a great support.
0: Well, listen, glad, glad that it is providing that for you and best of luck in the competition, um, although you're already a winner in many ways, aren't you, having a, it broadcast tomorrow evening. Thanks for being with us this evening, Bernard. That's Thanks, Bernard Crowley there speaking about his story a nice cup of tea read by Hilda Fay 1120 tomorrow evening that's Thursday the 13th of October as part of late date Antoinette uh, McCarthy's story fishing for Pike this evening at the same time the series has been running every night from Monday just gone and it will run right up until Thursday the 20th of October apart from the Saturday night uh, all of this will culminate then in an RTE uh, short story special with us here on arena it will go out live on air seven p.m. on Friday, the 21st of October from the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleera in Dublin. All ten shortlisted writers will be in attendance, as will judges Lisa McInerney, Ferdia McConaughey and Eilish Nakevna discussing the art of the story and the stories from this year's shortlist. There'll be live music, performances from leading actors and we'll find out who has won the top prizes. So you can join us in person. Audience tickets are now on sale at paviliontheatre.ie Although born in Cork City in 1913 the poet and playwright Sigerson Clifford is most intimately associated with the town of Caharseveen in County Kerry and the area surrounding the Ivara Aver- Peninsula His most famous poem The Boys of Barnish Roger, which is named after a street in that town looks back at the life on life he had as a child around the time of the Civil War but in 1981 he published one of his most celebrated collections Ballads of a Bogman celebrating the beauty and magic of the County of Kerry Now some of the poems From that collection have been set to music in a production entitled Ballads of a Bogman, the Sigersons Clifford Song Cycle. The music comes courtesy of Irish composer Stephen McNiff in collaboration with pianist Louise Thomas and tenor Gavin Ring himself from the town of cahars in County Kerry and this Sunday October the 16th Gavin and Louise bring the song cycle home to cahars in what promises to be a poignant event of music but right now Louise and Gavin are sitting in front of me here in studio I suppose you can always pawn it off on on um, and Clifford but coming home to your town hey I want to sing about home I'm going to sing a load of ballads about bog men <laughs> you're, Well, you're setting yourself up there Gavin Absolutely <laughs>
6: setting myself up for the fall no we're hugely excited About this Sean This is This is going to, As you say yourself It's going to be A very poignant evening Because um, We have performed These works now twice uh, mm. Or these songs twice already We premiered them In Los Angeles uh, Back in April And then we had The Irish premiere And European premiere In Cork Just Just yards away from where Sigurd St Clifford was born in St Finbar's Cathedral in July. Um, and and now, uh, fortuitously, we're in a position to bring them home, as you say to yourself, mm. to Carseveen on Sunday evening at seven o'clock. So they should be, they should be really, really special. They're an incre- it's an incredible composition, really, because I think what, Stephen McNiff has done I mean this is the thing about good art song and this mm. and, and this is what they are they're art songs uh, like the art songs that would have been composed by Schubert or Schumann or von Williams or Finzi um, in that they elevate already excellent poetry to give them an altogether more evocative meaning yeah. and that's what Stephen has done with these and uh, myself and Louise have just Thoroughly enjoyed working on them. They are yeah. quite something. I, f- for me, and maybe maybe it's because I'm from Carsovina because I'm a bit biased. <laughs> but a Kerry w- man biased about Kerry, surely <laughs> um, not. God, yeah, perish the thought, Sean. <laughs> but um, like, I mean, I've I've sung a lot of song cycles, obviously, mm-hmm. by various composers from the great European canons uh, over the last you know ten, fifteen years of my career. And uh, you know, you're as a as an Irish person, you're looking or you're searching for yeah. the Irish answer to it, and I. Just think that you feel this you is have it. something here. I really yeah. do think so. Um, yeah. and
0: Louise, um, now let's put aside the Dublin Kerry. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say it takes a, a double woman to keep
7: him in his place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: you're a pianist. Um, uh, you're dean of music now at the Chapman College in Los Angeles. Now, obviously, you didn't compose the pieces, but right. when you, you're working on the piano accompaniments, uh, when when Stephen um, and when uh Gavin, when you this was brought to you when you put your musical head on, could you see, is there an innate music in the poetry of Sigurdsson Clifford that made sense to be turned into song, if you like?
7: I think so. I think there are some beautifully descriptive phrases. And so... I love poetry myself. I mean, obviously I'm a pianist, so I love music. But beautiful poetry is something that's always really, uh, I've always been really drawn to towards it. So I think, yeah, definitely this was music that had, or poetry that had a rhythm of its own. Um, and I think usually as a pianist, you don't even get to, like, talk about the poetry. But usually mm. it's written and set and, and you come in at the last minute and and practice it and perform it. But this was a really wonderful process in that we were able to discuss the poetry and really find words you know words that would lend themselves well to music and,
0: and was it, was this all done remotely or was it during yeah, that period of time this is
7: really a pandemic project
0: yeah so, so
7: Gavin and I knew one another because we had worked on the Irish Art Song uh, language mm. the Irish Language Art Song Project with Dorian and Ivara and that was in uh, 2019 mm. and little did we know what was going to happen to us we wanted to work together on some things again
6: in fact actually we were <laughs> we were due to do a recital of the Irish Language Art Songs on the 12th of March 2020 oh and uh, I drove up to the concert yeah. hall ready for my <laughs> recital and they said you know everything's cancelled and I'm like alright oh, okay whatever thinking nothing of what was about to you know unfold but anyway yeah, yeah. But you just We're
7: come from up the road I'd come from LA <laughs>
6: <laughs> Little bit of a difference
0: Still, <laughs> still Dublin in competition with Carrie well, I know yeah. Well there. indeed yeah, anything yeah. you
6: can do I can do better
0: <laughs> Well not so, content yeah. not content with, with um, having poems that are simply about Carrie there is one of the songs which is, doesn't say I'm I am from Kerry, or I am a Kerry person. No, it says I am Kerry. Oh, Indeed, yeah. let's 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 have a listen to a little bit of that. And this is uh, Louise, obviously at the piano. Yourself, Gavin, singing the poetry of Sigurdsson Clifford and the music of Stephen McNiff.
8: Twas thus I lived, skin to skin with held but by the. Hill. by the bill
0: section from I Am Kerry one of the songs in the Sigurd Clifford song cycle Ballads of a Bogman Gavin Ring the tenor singing there along with the pianist Lou- Louise Thomas that the music of Stephen McNiff and the the, the show coming to Cahir Savine coming home as you said uh, Gavin beforehand and it is I mean even looking at the opening lines of that I mean, we were a bit further into it I am Kerry like my mother before me and I am my mother's mother and her man. Mm. I mean, it really. It. Clifford seemed to re- that that carry aspect seemed oh, to be would. really strong in his yeah. in his poetry and in his imagination. Absolutely. And like I remember
6: very clearly, I'd say I was about ten or eleven years old, pulling down my mother's copy of Ballads of a Bogman from her library. And flicking through it because you see, when you're from Carsavine, you're absolutely—it's like the national anthem. You learn bo- you learn the boys of Barnashada before you learn Auron Veen mm-hmm. and so you know Sigerson Clifford is—he's—he's is, he's so well known. He's, mm. it, it, he's part of the social and cultural fibre down there. So I saw this poetry collection Sigerson Clifford, and I remember flicking through it, and I was just—even at that age—I was like, wow, it was just a revelation to me because when you're from there. And I suppose it was expressed by people like John B. Kane over the years as well, is that like there's almost a kind of a mysticism. There's a there's a yeah. there's a history and a folklore that becomes distilled by a poet like Sigurdson Clifford that you're instantaneously attracted to as somebody from that area. Not least because of the fact that you can recognise and that you're sort of drawn to the to, to the themes as it were. But like the fact that Clifford draws so much as well on the scenery and the landscape and feeling part of that drama as it were and like and the unpredictability of it and the sort of wild beauty mm. of it, it like you kind of it's it's almost like a, there's almost something reverent about it it's like a kind of a, it's, there, there, there's a spirituality attached to it yeah. and, and of course like I mean it's just it's I and it's perfectly encapsulated in I Am Kerry I call it like it's like the Nicene Creed of being from Kerry do you know what I mean you just you just feel the county and you feel the magic of the mm. place
0: in every single line and every single word. And how does he because that title its it sounds at one level so pejorative ballads <laughs> of a bug man. Yeah. How does he turn that into something that is not pejorative that is actually in praise of the place that he's writing about Well you see that's the thing it's about the environment and it's about the land and the
6: connection with the land and the connection with the environment and I suppose in a way it kind of draws on a very primitive very kind of almost pagan kind of feeling Mm. that exists even down there to this day Um, and it's because the place is so beautiful I mean like you know you don't have there there are not many places in the world like County Kerry in fact I mean Look, I mean, the Western Seaboard is beautiful as it yeah. is, but I mean, Kerry really is the crown in that jewel, ju- or the jewel in that crown, rather. And and I guess it's 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 very much that being part of that, being part of the sea, being part of the mountains, being part of uh, of the landscape and the environment um, is sort of it's yeah. it's it's, it's, it's you're humbling yourself before it, as it were, uh, and the ballads. You, you are you are in fact you are the bogman within the majesty of yeah, this great well, kingdom. I,
0: you know, I was going to be smart and say another modest carry man, but in fact, <laughs> but in fact, you are. They being don't modest make there. us <laughs> modest. <laughs> but, but you are referring to that, this yeah. idea of humbling yeah. yourself in front of it. So you're you're, you're actually Indeed. standing back from it. And, and Louise, you know, you were saying about this idea of working a little bit closer than just there's the sheet music. Exactly, account. Yeah. So what kind of work did you do with the composer Stephen McNiff?
7: Well, we, w- the three of us really had many Zoom calls mm. and I suppose in a way, everybody was tired of Zoom and is never wants to hear the word Zoom again. But there was something about those calls. They could be more extensive uh, because really, we weren't rushing to go do mm-hmm. things. Mm. So, we could have sort of long conversations that really kind of drew us into the poetry and helped us kind of understand one another, I think, in, in very meaningful All ways. All right, I'll
0: finish with a little snippet of a Carrie Christmas Carol. You might just set up a little bit of this for us, Gavin, we listen to a stanza or two. Absolutely. So, um,
6: this is a really, really beautiful little poem that Stephen has set really incredibly well and we were rehearsing it today and Mm -hmm. like the the opening of it I I always picture it's like I picture my 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 grandmother or my mother um, you know basically sort of rushing everybody on Christmas Eve to get ready and you know get the place tidy and get the place right because it's such an important almost uh, you know um Date in the diary, as it were, in that period. So it's, 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 and, and and then it transcends into a little bit more sort of an imaginative space and then returns to, well, we have to get the place yeah, ready. Let's so let's get on with
0: yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll only get that opening section, which kind of sets the the excitement of a Christmas Eve. But thanks for coming into us. That's Gavin okay. Ring and we. Thomas. S- thanks very and uh, much. here is that setting of a Carrie Christmas Carol.
8: And they will The hands that baked And to the hands that toiled For Joseph will be travel-tired And Mary pale and one And they can rest a little while Before they journey on Before they journey on They will be weary of the roads, and the rest will comfort them, for it must be a very long mile, for it must be a very long mile from here to Bethlehem.
0: Section there of the Kerry Christmas Carol, Gavin Ring, tenor and pianist Louise Thomas, and that's from part of Ballads of a Bogman, the Sigerson Clifford Song Cycle, which will be in Carsveen in County Kerry this Sunday, October the 16th. The performance will take place in the historic surrounds of the Daniel O'Connell Memorial Church, 7 pm. Full details on gavinring.com forward slash ballads. Turner Prize-nominated Derry-born visual artist Willie Doherty has a new exhibition at the Carolyn Gallery in Dublin. Doherty is best known for his work, which references the troubles in Northern Ireland through atmospheric images and videos of places which interact with text and soundtracks. He has presented a whole shadow world of the residual traces left by traumatic events on natural and built environments, such as a burnt-out car on a country road or an empty urban space with graffiti. His latest exhibition... Is and is not uh, is when is where Doherty brings us again on such a journey. This time through the unspoilt landscape of Donegal, his home city of Derry, and over the Atlantic to the city of Pittsburgh. And uh, delighted that Willie is is with us in the studio this evening. And so just um, I think that we, I was talking to you just before we we started, Willie, about the last time we spoke back in May twenty twenty about about your film at the time, Endless, which was part of the viewing room. Brackets Online, because that's where we were in May 2020 uh, at the Carolyn Gallery. So you've been involved with many other projects uh, since that. So it has been a busy time. And is it good, though, to get actually back
9: out there rather than be, you know, having to do things online? It's fantastic. I mean, this is the first exhibition of new work that that I've Mm. made and been able to exhibit um, since that time, you know. So it feels good to be in the gallery again and have an audience come to see the work. So it's fantastic, yeah.
0: I mean, given what we're talking about here, though, uh, Derry and Donegal, as we know, not not that far apart, yeah. obviously, but Pittsburgh is part of the part of the canvas here as well. So there was travel involved at some point just along the line.
9: Yeah, no, there there was. Yeah, um, I've been going back to Pittsburgh over the last few years. So, mm. but in the exhibition itself, I mean, I don't actually identify any of the places. You know, I, I suppose I'm more interested in. Um, how you encounter the images themselves rather than the specificity of each place. I mean, I I hope that that's um, legible to the viewer when Mm. they actually see the work. I mean, I think the images of Donegal are fairly obvious. I mean, there's the image of Derry and Pittsburgh. I think they also have their own texture if you want you know so it's possible to kind of read the places without being told where you are yes you don't need to you don't need
0: to let me me open up one in fact i remember we're going to tweet the images as we're speaking here so people who want to look at the images and and get a sense of of what we're what we're talking about can do so on at rte arena and the first one i'm going to look at in fact is midnight 2022, uh, as I bring that up then, on at RTE Arena uh, to, to see that one. You, do you know the you have the yeah, image yeah. In, in your mind? Is yeah. it, in fact, it's two images that we're talking about here. Exactly, it's,
9: it's two images um, that um, happened kind of by accident. I was taking the first image of the slightly dilapidated building with the broken awning. Yeah, we're clearly in, in night time here. In night time, yeah. Black and white and, uh,
0: photographs.
9: Yeah, and it was at midnight. So I'd just taken that photograph and I had the camera on a tripod, turned around to kind of walk back up this little street. And I saw this dog at the top of the street, you know, a huge Doberman, you know. Watching and I kind everything. of froze and I thought, okay, now what am I going to do next? I was kind of waiting for the dog to either mm. come at me or, you know, or for me to go the other way. I wasn't quite sure what to do. But anyway, I basically just um, took a photograph with the camera as I kind of sat it down and didn't refocus or anything just took that image and um, when I developed the film I thought yeah these two actually couldn't work together you know so it's one of those happy accidents that you you get from time to time um, when when you're out working you know
0: what's interesting about it and lots of interesting things about it but one thing that strikes me about it is you know when we look at that dilapidated awning as you say and the image on the left hand side of the screen as I'm looking at it now you're looking down the hill, mm. um, so obviously the other image, which is of the dog, is up at the top of the hill. So yeah. we really get a sense of while that picture was happening, yeah, this was happening, the,
9: <laughs> right behind, <laughs> behind me, behind yeah. my back, yeah.
0: Um, you know, and there's a, there's kind of an eeriness about that.
9: Yeah, there is. I mean, I think you know that that probably characterises all of the images in, in mm. the show. I think there's something a little disturbing about them. I mean, there you know there is a kind of familiarity about the images, particularly the ones in, made in this country, I feel. But also there's something about them that feels a little kind of disturbing, even the images in, in Donegal. I mean, mm. I mean, your previous guest was talking about the beauty of Kerry. I mean, in some ways people also think of Donegal in that way. But for me, I mean, I think there, there's also a level of, um, you know, in which the landscape there is kind of brutalised in a way also. Mm. I mean, there's a kind of bleakness sometimes about the landscape. And I think... These images reflect that, rather than the more um, kind of romantic notion. of... Yeah, you're of, not giving us um, you're
0: not giving us a, a tourist picture of Donegal here. No, there's plenty of those, and there's there plenty are. of parts of Donegal yeah, where we could are, do that. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at uh, 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 another image now called Lost Crossing. So if you want to see that uh, at RTE Arena now, may this may or may not be Donegal, and I suppose that's kind of not that. But we are we are looking at a kind of bleakness in this a series of trees it looks like the winter months to me very little leaves on the trees yeah. and, and again as you did in the Pittsburgh images from earlier on the stillness here is quite extraordinary
9: yeah I mean I, I do um, enjoy working in these kind of remote locations and at specific times of the day and where the weather is kind of largely kind of overcast you know mm. um, but yeah I mean I think one of I mean the I think this whole exhibition came out of the COVID experience where I wanted to kind of get back to doing something very kind of basic. So I started working again with uh, black and white uh, film and just developing it and just having a slower kind of process. Um, And I think one of the ways in which that kind of affects the, the outcome is that it slows you down, you know? So like when you're working, you're, Looking much more attentively than Mm. I think you do when you're working with a digital camera, you know, like you tend to, you know, you can take 10, 20 shots in a row. Uh, Yeah, discard them. Think of it, yeah. Yeah. But with this, I mean, I think that there's a a way of looking and bringing a kind of intensity to the experience that I really enjoyed, you know, and I think that that's present through all of all of these images, you know. And,
0: and given that I'm, and I'm interested in the stillness here again, you know, midnight in the previous mm. uh, kind of diptych that we had in yeah. those two nighttime midnight yeah. pictures. Uh, and again, we're in a, a place here where there, there isn't even a dog standing behind you that we know of. Are you constantly looking, particularly in this set of images, were you looking for that that blankness, that absence of... Man's um, interaction with the with the landscape, if you like.
9: Well, it, it's absence and it's and it's there, you know, um, which is in the title, I suppose. Y- yeah, is um, and is not. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, this is this isn't Donegal, and this is a, a particularly kind of remote part, you know. Um, and you do feel the kind of human presence in the landscape. I mean, there is a, a sense of which it is—it's mm. quite remote. It's very cut off. But I was kind of interested in this little bridge, you know, that, that's there, you know, which. It's hard to know exactly what its function is. I mean, there's a small stream around it, but there's a road that runs off it that I, I don't know where it went, you know. <laughs> so there is there is something enigmatic about it. And I think it's more that kind of quality that I was kind of interested yeah. in, in this work. There's that kind of ambiguity and that uh, kind of enigma about certain places, you know.
0: You're bringing us into, um, I'm going to tweet another image now, engulfed 2021 at RTE Arena, if you want to see these images as Willie Doherty is, is speaking to me uh, about them. We are engulfed here. We're we're right in the middle of the natural world, if mm-hmm. you like. We're right in the middle of it. Maybe you describe the image for me, first of all, where we are and what we're, what we're in the midst yeah, of, Willie.
9: It's in the middle of a small clearing in a very old um, native woodland. Um which is completely overgrown and you know, everything is covered in this moss, you know? Uh, so that has a different kind of intensity when you're there. I mean, it, it's it's both beautiful, but also kind of slightly disturbing and intimidating because, you know, you really get the feeling of being totally engulfed and it's quite claustrophobic in a way, um, which is, you know, again, just the, the kind of flip side of that notion of nature being this much more kind of gentle, mm. kind of beautiful, uh, benevolent thing. There's there's something there that that for me was kind of a, a little made me feel anxious being there alone. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I can see there is a kind of a spookiness to yeah. it. The the black and white adds to that spookiness, I suppose. The black and white is part of the the analog thing that you were looking at. But what else yeah. does what does what does working in black and white give you? That color brings you to a different place, I suppose
9: it it does completely and in, in a way it 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 gives you a different kind of tonal range you know and in these works i, I really wanted to do, explore that full tonal range from like really deep blacks to a, a rich uh, variety of greys and, and then some whites you know so i mean um th- that's the kind of real beauty of black and white we can get that beautiful rich tonal range through the image. Yeah, and 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 while,
0: you know, as I'm looking at this engulfed um, picture, it's not. there's no question, but we know where we are. It is hmm. figurative in one aspect, I suppose, in that we know it's a picture of moss-coloured trees, moss-covered trees, I beg your pardon. But there is a kind of abstraction that black and white brings. If we were looking at it in colour, it would be what it is. It wouldn't be anything else. Yeah,
9: no, absolutely. And I think all of the images share that quality. And that's one of the kind of beautiful things of black and white that that doesn't, in a sense provide a, a a kind of detachment or remove from the kind of reality, if you want. So, I mean, to me, the black and white images are always feel much more constructed in a way. Mm. Um, and, and that's something that, I, again, I was really looking for in, in this body of work, that kind of intensity of, of the image itself, and also this feeling that, that it's there's something there that is um, kind of unreal in a way, you know. You know, uh, I mean, unreal in the sense of um, almost fictionalized. You know. Yeah. Um,
0: so you're not you're not looking for a straightforward picture. This is here's a tree. As I'm looking. Yeah. At now yeah. you know or here here's a model. Yeah. you're looking for something beyond that. Yeah, it's something that not opens bit. up on the other narrative potential somehow. You know. Well, thanks for coming into us and and, and sharing those thoughts with us this evening, Willie. Uh, uh, Willie Doherty's latest series of work, Is and Is Not, opens at the Carolyn Gallery in Dublin on October the 15th. Runs then through until November the 19th. Full information on and.